Well, good morning again, and thanks so much for being here and worshiping with us uh, this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series this week uh, called Underqualified, and what we're doing is we're spending the summer running through uh, some character profiles of all of Jesus' disciples or apostles, and we're trying to sort of see ourselves in a little bit uh, of them and a little bit of their traits and see you know, what similarities we have and the types of confidence and, and different stories uh, that we can draw on. Just quickly, let's throw this chart up one more time. Uh, the disciples, there are 12 of them, and they're uh, all marked in uh, each of the, the three Gospels there and the book of Acts. And they're sort of sectioned off, uh, you know, that first section, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those are the group that are always sort of mentioned together as a group that are like the closest to Jesus. And then Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew are sort of that second group. And then James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas are sort of that third group. And that doesn't mean that they were any more or less important, but just like anybody in any leadership team or any group of people, uh, if you have 12 people together, usually there are some that are closer to others, and that is just one of those ways in those cool little group dynamics and how the disciples uh, were organized and how they work. Now this morning we're going to talk, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about Peter. This week we're going to have a conversation about Andrew. Now, Andrew is perhaps best known as Peter's brother. Is anybody best known as somebody else's something? Have you ever been attached to that? Uh, it's funny, Lauren and I had, uh, you know, Lauren and I have been in ministry together for a long time, and, and it's, depending on the setting, right, it's, hi, this is Lauren, Mike's wife, or hi, this is Mike, Lauren's husband. Uh, we worked at a church which uh, Lauren grew up in for quite a while, like she, it was her home church, she grew up in that church, uh, and so she was there for her whole life, from when she was like four until just a few years ago. And uh, I was sort of airdropped in at the beginning, and it was incredible how on, almost immediately she became Lauren to Mike's wife. And we were like, no, that's terrible. That's not what's going on here. And so it was one of those interesting dynamics that sometimes you're attached to somebody because of somebody else. That's literally exactly how it feels. Yeah. And so Andrew, you know, uh, was attached uh, in a large way as Peter's uh, brother. And we're going to get introduced here to Andrew, but first I want to talk a little bit just for one minute about John the Baptist because he is an integral part of this story. So in, uh, in, in, in the beginning of John, we see that before Andrew and Peter and James and all of the rest of them are disciples of Jesus, we talked in this first week of the series that Jesus wasn't the first one or the only one to have disciples or followers. And there were some people that were following John the Baptist first. They were because John was there to lead the way, to pave the way for Jesus, to get people ready for the coming Messiah. And there were some people who were following John. And uh, Andrew was one of those people. And so we see here in John chapter 1, starting in 35, it says, the next day John the Baptist was standing with two of his own followers. Jesus walked by. John looked at him and said, See the Lamb of God. God uh, John's two followers heard him say this and followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned around and saw them following and said, What are you looking for? And they answered, Teacher, what are you saying? He said to them, Come and see. They followed him and they saw where he lived. They stayed with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. So this is interesting right in the beginning here because there's a group of people that are following John the Baptist in his teaching. But John, over and over and over, it says again that I'm not the Messiah. But as soon as the Messiah walks by, John goes, there he is, and Andrew is gone. Not because he doesn't love John and because John's teaching wasn't good, but because he understands who he's to follow, who he's made to be. And this makes Andrew one of the first disciples or followers of Jesus in this way, which is really uh, kind of cool. Later on, continuing, in verse 40, it says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, there it is, was one of the two who had heard John's words and had followed Jesus. The other was John, not John the Baptist, John the disciple, the writer of this particular gospel. We'll get to him later. The first thing he did, he being uh, Andrew, was find his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Christ. Andrew took Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Simon, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. Your name will be Caiaphas. The name means Peter or rock. Andrew, uh, someone who is hardly mentioned on his own, uh, if you go through Scripture, there are almost no instances in where Andrew is talked about exclusively by himself. And when he is, he's almost always attached to somebody else or takes a back seat right away. This is sort of the first thing we learn about him. Look what he did. He met Jesus, and what's the first thing he does? I've got to tell my brother. I've got to tell the person that I love and value the most in the world. I've got to tell my brother about Jesus. This is really cool, and leads to a lot of what Andrew does through uh, the story of the Gospels, which we will get through here in a second. But Andrew probably knows, if you have a sibling or a best friend or whatever, one that's louder than you, one that happens to take over that big personality, you know that if you choose to introduce them to somebody else, they're all of a sudden be going to become the star of that relationship. Right? We've all seen and experienced, I've got people laughing. I know, I've, right? And, and, and unfortunately, I think some people, I've been on the Peter side of that at times. I've had quieter friends that have gone, hey, this is my friend Mike. And then I'm like, rah, rah! And So, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. But this, Andrew has to know this is going to happen. Ask, Andrew has to know that he's going to introduce Peter to Jesus and that all of a sudden he's immediately going to take a back seat. Which is cool because Andrew, despite being really the first one here that we see to follow Jesus, the first one to become one of the disciples, immediately goes and tells somebody else about Jesus and then is totally willing to take a step back. And that's really hard to do. That's an ego thing. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that stuff. I've been accused at times in my life by people who have no idea that what they're talking about that I have a bit of an ego. I don't see it. <laughs> but whatever. Right? But this is an ego thing. You introduce people and then you immediately take the step back. It's the handoff. It's the willing to be the person working in the background. In this we see over Andrew's 
entire ministry, which is so, so interesting. There's a handful of times, like I said, that he's mentioned. We, we don't learn about Andrew uh, scripturally after Pentecost, after uh, uh, Christ brings the Holy Spirit down on the apostles. That's not a person we hear a lot about anymore, even, he's, even though he's in that core four. He's clearly a leader. He's clearly a person of significance, but he's the one in the background. And it's so cool that not only he knows that, but he leans into it. And there's a few people uh, that are like this, uh, or there's a few instances where he does this. Uh, of course, after meeting Jesus for the first time, he brings uh, Peter to him. Uh, he's the one who brings the little boy uh, that had the loaves and the fishes. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. And here's a really cool one here. In John chapter 12, uh, some people come to Philip that want to meet Jesus. And Philip goes to Andrew, and this is what happens. So in John 12, uh, starting in 20, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to meet Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip led people to Jesus. This is one of these handfuls of instances that we're going to talk about this morning, that Andrew is clearly very comfortable just leading people to Jesus and letting Jesus do the work of the rest, which is so, so cool. We so often uh, think about bringing people to Jesus or talking about our faith in terms that we have to do all the work. We have to do the heavy lift. We, you know, somebody's entire world or soul or salvation or everything is on us. It's on my shoulders. Somehow you're responsible. But Andrew understands very clearly that actually what he needs to do is just lead people to Jesus because it's Jesus that changes their life and changes their heart, not him. He doesn't need to be the star of the show. It's really, uh, really cool. His, his ministry primarily is one where he works in the background. He's that person that facilitates and then takes a step back. Can I ask this question? Uh, we're going to take 30 seconds so you can turn to the person to answer this. Maybe you're a person who's following Jesus right now, who's here in person or watching online. And so if you're a person who's already following Jesus, the question for you this morning is, who led you to Jesus? Who's the person that brought you there? And if you're somebody who's not, who's figuring it out, but you're here, or you're online and you're searching around, the question is, who brought you here? Who got you this far down the road. Can you just talk about that for one second? Who's, who's the person that sort of brought you a little bit closer to Jesus or introduced you to Jesus in the first place? Just take 30 seconds, turn to your person next to you, and see if you can remember that little story. And then we'll come back here in a second. Give you five more seconds. Okay, now we're in the room. Now, 
I've got a plan here. Hopefully it works. We're going to see. You never know when you ask for audience participation. <laughs> uh, by a show of hands, who, uh, who was the person that brought you to Jesus first? The person that introduced you to Jesus? By a show of hands, if that person was a pastor. Look around. So, three, four, five hands out of however many people that are here. That's really, it worked. That's really <laughs> significant. Because we so often think, right, it's, it's this person in this giant position, this needs to happen. But, but almost everybody in this room, their first introduction to Jesus was somebody who wasn't in a ministry position or a leadership position. Which means that that person led you to Jesus and Jesus did the work in your heart to get you the rest of the way. Or that person walked along with you. That person saw you as an individual who was important and invested in you, in one person or in two people or in a couple people around you. That's how people get to know Jesus. And Andrew knew that. Andrew valued the individual person. He wasn't somebody that we see in Scripture. And he might have, but we don't have any record of him speaking to large crowds or gaining a large following of people around him. There aren't a lot of Andrew-centered stories, but there are stories where Andrew cared for the individual. He didn't need a stage to do that, which is really important, really, really cool. More, more of us in the church, more church leaders, to be honest, need to perhaps be a little bit more like Andrew uh, in that way. Here's another thing maybe you could relate to uh, or another cool thing about Andrew. Andrew really saw the value in an insignificant gift, in something that isn't big enough. We've all experienced this time. Usually it's around the holidays or it's around a birthday or something where we look at a gift, we, something we have to buy for somebody, and we go, is this good enough? Is this big enough? Was this expensive enough? There's, um, I don't know if anybody here has seen The Big Bang Theory, the show, but there's this, there's this episode where one of the main characters uh, knows he's going to get a Christmas gift from one of the other characters, and so he buys six gift baskets of varying size and degree so that he knows which one to go get when he receives the gift. So he gets the gift from the person, and then he knows based on the value of that gift which of the gift baskets to get. And it's very funny because he gets this gift that turns out to be inexpensive but invaluable, and he comes running out of the bedroom with all six gift baskets and just throws them at the person. Right? Andrew understood the value in an insignificant gift, and we see this in a different look or a different view of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. So here in John chapter 6, we read this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, and this is so fun, he asked this only to test him, for he already had a mind of what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip goes back and he goes, this is going to be very expensive if we're going to feed all of these people. It's going to cost a lot. I don't know how we're going to handle that. And Andrew, again, another of disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <laughs> spoke up. 
Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go with so many? It's an insignificant gift. It's so small. But Andrew says, I'm just going to bring it to Jesus. There's this small gift. There's this small thing that exists. But I'm just going to bring it to Him. And I'm going to see what He can do with it. And look what happens there. All of these people are fed and turned to Jesus. It's very, very cool. It's, it's small. It's little. If you don't slow down, you miss it because that's a, that's a lot of Andrew's ministry. If you don't slow down, you don't see some of the cool things that he did. But he saw the value in that small thing in bringing it to Jesus, right? How many of you this morning have felt like you don't have anything big enough or good enough to contribute? It's interesting, I talk to people about this often uh, because one of my jobs is to just be up here and to talk. And for some reason, people look at that as like this great, huge thing that's like, like there's like this tier of ministry abilities and because I can write some notes and then coherently spell them back to you once a week for half an hour, uh, I'm like up here and that's not at all true. I'm... I have one thing that I'm okay at, but I'm really not good at a lot of other things. But because of this position and because of the way we sometimes look at church, we're, we kind of like tear these gifts and we think they're not as significant. But Andrew didn't do that. Andrew worked with Peter, who was the mouth. He worked with John, who was the one that Jesus loved. He literally worked with God. And Andrew went, I'll just bring this thing. It's small. It doesn't seem like a lot, but I bet Jesus can do something with it. If you have ever felt like you don't have something big enough for God to do something with, I would challenge you, and I, won't, I don't like to make like, declarative statements very, wrong, very, very often, um, but you're wrong. <laughs> if you don't think that you have something that God can use in a significant way, that's just not right. And I would challenge you to shift that thinking because over and over again, we see Christ using small things in big ways. And Andrew is somebody who just understood this. Went, here's something small. Here's that insignificant gift. I bet, even though I feel like it isn't big enough. Even Andrew questioned, how far will they go? I don't know, but I'm going to give it to you because I bet you've got a plan. If we could approach our gifts and our God a little bit more like Andrew, how much further can we go with something small? Uh, the, the, the third thing here that I really like about Andrew is that he finds value. He finds value in the inconspicuous service. He finds value in sitting in the background, right? Something we know, and even just in the last few minutes that we've talked about Andrew over and over again, is that he's a person in the background but he it seemed to like it. We see a lot of these conversations amongst the disciples about who's the greatest, and they're usually started by that core group of four, but there's one of those people that's never in one of those conversations, and that's Andrew. He didn't need to be the greatest. That wasn't significant to him. He found significance in that background ministry, in the work behind the scenes, which is so cool. He never talked to multitudes. We sort of talked about that, as at least in Scripture. He didn't write an epistle that made it into uh, our Bible. He isn't mentioned really in the book of Acts. He isn't mentioned in the epistles. The, 
the Bible doesn't record much that he did after some of these moments that he was with Jesus. Even the accounts of his, uh, the rest of his ministry and his death are, are extra-biblical accounts. They're, they're historical accounts that are outside our Scripture. Yet look at how significant a role he played. Go back and every time you see Andrew through your Gospels, just go, what's he doing here? Because I bet I'll miss it if I don't look. But whether it's the 5,000 or bringing uh, those Greeks, those people who, those, those foreigners, those first people that weren't actually part of the group to Jesus. Or being somebody who brought Peter, one of the more significant leaders in the early church, to Jesus. All of Andrew's greatest works had this trickle-down effect, but he was always in the background. And so I would encourage you to think about your life and relationship in Jesus in that way. Most of us are like this. Most of us aren't the people that want to get up on stage or sing or whatever. Most of us are people who would like to volunteer and have people not really know our name. And every once in a while, we feel like, ah, oh, like, does anybody notice what I'm doing? And here's the cool part. One, yes, people notice even if you don't know it. And two, God notices what you're doing, and he's doing something a lot, even if it's something that you're giving nuts a little. This is the big uh, pull from this work with Andrew. And, and as, I've, as I've sort of gone over this stuff over the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed this. Um, because so much of the attention and the glory uh, and the spotlight goes to the loud leaders. We know this. But the ones that do incredibly good and big work are so often the ones behind the scenes. I'm not going to embarrass anybody on our staff team, but we've got a couple of people on our staff team that are behind-the-scenes people, that this place doesn't run without them, and they're happy if nobody ever knows their name. We've got people in volunteer ministry positions that would be happy to serve if nobody knew their name. We've got people on our elders team that are that way, that would be super happy to serve if nobody knew who they were, because they ha they're happy to find value in that background space. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's that relatable piece for you today too. So Andrew finds value in the individual instead of searching for a large group. Really cool. Andrew sees the value in things that are insignificant because nothing is insignificant when given to Jesus. And third, Andrew finds value in that background, that inconspicuous service. As I go through and have gone through prepping for this series, Andrew, I think, is slowly becoming one of my favorites uh, because that type of leader is the type of leader that I think we could all use a little more of. You looked around, and, and I'll finish with this. You looked around a minute ago, and I said, you know, who brought you to Jesus? Was it a, was it a pastor? Was it a, a worship leader? Was it somebody in a bigger position? And most of the answers was no. And when we think about our community and when we think about reaching out and as a group and when we talk about telling people about Jesus, I want you to keep that in mind. That, that the same way that you got brought to, to closer to Jesus is probably a just 
just a fine way for you to bring somebody else closer to Jesus. It doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be flashy. It doesn't need to be a lot. The story that's significant to me in this is that um, my dad, I was three or four, uh, my dad was brought to, to Christ through a guy named uh, uh, Tom Weeb, um, who was, uh, uh, they were electricians together. Um, I was, you know, three at the time. My dad wasn't a Christian, and they started talking about it and exploring things and figuring things out. And Tom just was ask, answering questions and asking my dad about stuff and, uh, and was kind of in on the relationship with him and was just caring about him and saying, hey, this is maybe something you should think about. It wasn't anything flashy. It wasn't anything crazy. But the relationship that Tom and my dad had led my dad to turn his life over to Christ when he was in his early 30s, which led to me growing up in the church and wanting to do this which is really cool for me because, you know, I get to do this job that I actually really love and have a lot of fun in, but I don't get to do that if somewhere on an electrical job site 40 years ago, my dad and this guy named Tom don't have a conversation. And so this type of thing for me really hits home because it's really the reason that I get to do what I do is because somebody else valued the individual, and then brought him to Jesus and said, Christ, you do the work and I'll do, this, I'll do the background support. And this is Andrew's ministry. So I don't know how much you knew about Andrew this morning. Hopefully you found a little bit in there in yourself, a little bit of encouragement, something cool and something new. Uh, next week we'll keep going with uh, another of Jesus' apostles, but until then we're going to pray uh, and we're going to sing a little bit more. God, thank you so much for today. Thanks. thanks for this morning. Thanks for our ability to get up, to serve you, to worship, to be in this group of folks uh, together, to pray and to praise and to learn. And God, thanks for Andrew. Thank you for the people in the background in our lives that led us to you. Thank you that, God, you are powerful enough to change our hearts and change our minds and change our hearts. But Lord, thank you so much for putting people in our lives that bring us closer to you. And God, give us the confidence that we need and the ability and the words to just talk to the people around us about you, to draw them a little bit closer, to take that one step, to not hesitate to introduce them to you in the same way Andrew did with Peter and with the little boy with the fish and with the Greeks that went to Philip first. So God, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity that we get to serve you and Lord, I just pray that we would all learn a little bit from Andrew this morning and have that heart for you. In Jesus' name, amen.